Greetings. <coughs> Greetings. This is Kevin Saunders of the Arizona Bible Class, and it's time again for the gospel to come to life. The purpose of this podcast is to prepare you to hear and listen intently to the preached word of the gospel that will be proclaimed uh, in Catholic churches around the world this coming weekend. I'm a full-time Catholic Christian Bible teacher, and I teach in eight different venues around the Phoenix area. You can find out more about me on my website, which is Arizona Bible Class, one word, dot com. There you can find my bio and also the list of all the recordings of all 73 books of the Bible available for download. But having said that, this particular podcast is dedicated specifically to the gospel reading for this coming weekend. And to that end, I'll engage you now for about 30 minutes or so with historical, geographical, and Middle Eastern culture and custom as they affect and allow insight into the gospel reading. The gospel reading for this coming Sunday is in the Gospel of John and the 14th chapter. We'll be looking at John chapter 14, verses 1 to 12. We're in the middle of the Last Supper discourse of Jesus. To set the scene, of course, we're in the upper room, and the Haggadah, or the story of the book of Exodus, has nearly been completed. Remember, that story has four markers along its journey, each a glass of wine. The first glass of wine opens the telling of the story of the book of Exodus. It's called the cup of blessing, the Kiddush. The second cup is the cup of the plagues that remembers the sufferings that the Egyptians went through in order for the Israelites to be released from captivity. The third cup, which we call the Eucharistic cup, is in that Jewish retelling of the Passover story, the <coughs> cup, excuse me, of redemption. And that cup of redemption remembers that moment when the plagues had their desired effect and the Israelites are released from their captivity. It's that cup that Jesus drinks with his disciples surrounding him at the Last Supper, saying to them, this is the cup of my blood, the cup of the new covenant that will be shed for you. And then remember the fourth cup uniquely is the cup of acceptance, which is typically consumed at the end of the Passover meal, bringing the Haggadah, bringing the Seder, bringing that ordered remembering of the Exodus event to a conclusion. And that, of course, for Christians, is realized by Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. There, in his mind's eye, he sees a cup, and he prays that that cup can be taken from him, if possible, but if not, that he be given the strength to consume it. That fourth cup of the Passover ritual is called the cup of acceptance. And at the end of the Seder meal, at the end of that ordered celebration and memory of liberation, you thank God for the gift of life and pray that you'll have the strength to accept whatever challenges come for you the next year. Again, Jesus ends the Last Supper prematurely and then 
recognizes the fourth cup in the Garden of Gethsemane because he has earlier in John chapter 13 dismissed Judas from the proceedings. You'll recall that Judas is identified by Jesus to John, the youngest apostle, who informs then Peter that it is in fact Judas who will betray Jesus. And in verse 31 of John chapter 13, when he had left, meaning when Judas exits the upper room, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. That is, I'm honoring the Father, the Father is honoring me, the game is effectively afoot, meaning Jesus knows that Judas is going to collect a guard that will return to the upper room shortly in an attempt to arrest Jesus there. He won't allow that to happen. He will leave before the Passover officially concludes, before they drink the final cup, the cup of acceptance. But before they leave, he has a few more words of teaching for his disciples. After completing this teaching in John chapter 14, he will begin to move then systematically from the upper room across the city to the Temple Mount, through the Temple Mount's gate called Golden, across the Kidron Valley, where he will then stop and await Judas's arrival while in the Garden of Gethsemane. But I got ahead of myself. Let's now return to our Gospel passage. The Gospel passage, John chapter 14, verses 1 to 12, will actually be in John chapter 14 this week and next week as we work our way through these Easter season Gospels. And so the Gospel begins with Jesus now noting on the faces of those at table shock and surprise. Where has Judas gone? Why has he been dismissed? Now, earlier in chapter 13, in verses 29 and 30, John gives us reasonable cause for their concern. Because when Judas was dismissed, in verse 29 of John chapter 13, some thought that since Judas kept the money bag, Jesus had told him, buy what we need for the feast, or to transliterate, well, we may be running out of food and we might need more, which is highly unusual. Or perhaps he had been dismissed in order to give something to the poor. Again, a very unusual set of circumstances. But be that as it may, in verse 30 of chapter 13, Judas took the morsel Jesus had given him and he left at once. It was deep in the night. So it makes sense that people around the table are concerned. It's like your Uncle Bill rising from the table just as the turkey is presented to the family saying, I have another engagement I need to attend. You would allow him uh, to depart, but you would wonder why the haste? Why leave now? That's the idea. And with that background, we can enter our gospel more effectively. Jesus begins John chapter 14 with these words. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Have faith in God. Have faith also in me. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. They don't understand 
why Judas has been dismissed. They are now 11 rather than the 12. And remember, all 12 had had their feet washed by Jesus in advance of the meal being served. But we're in the heart of the Seder meal, that ordered recounting of the events of Passover. And this meal brings everything together because we're consuming the same animal that our ancestors of faith had consumed under the tutelage of Moses 1,500 years earlier. And so he consoles those now concerned about the departure of Judas by telling them, in my father's house, meaning in heaven, there are many dwelling places. If there were not, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, that means I will come back again and take you to myself so that where I am, you also may be. Now again, because this is a narrative rooted deeply in Middle Eastern culture and custom, we have to appropriate the imagery here that Jesus is trying to convey. And obviously, all of those listening to him were men and women of that particular time and cultural background. They understood what he was saying. The imagery is of groom and bride. And what's unique about marriage customs in the Middle East in the biblical period, most certainly, was that when a son was betrothed to his future bride, they were separated from each other for propriety's sake, to allow the anticipation of their union to increase. During that time, the son would begin construction in his father's compound, a room, an apartment effectively, attached to his father's house. When that construction was complete and the room furnished appropriately, the father then would give permission for the son to go and collect his bride. The son would go to the village, the location of the home of his bride, would meet her family, and then would effectively extract her from her family of origin to bring her to live in this apartment, if you will, in the purveyance of his father, the father-in-law of the new bride. And so the point of Jesus is that in my father's house, there are many such dwellings, that is, plenty of room for all. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you also may be. In that imagery, Jesus is the groom, and his disciples are the bride, and he is preparing a place for them. When appropriate to do so, he will be sent by his Father to collect them, and they will be brought back in triumphant celebration to live out their days in the shadow of Jesus's Father's house. Now, he goes on to say, where I am going, you do not know the way. I'm sorry, in verse 4, where I am going, you know the way. And remember, that would be a reference to the many passion predictions of Jesus. Recalling that Jesus, on numerous occasions, made note of the fact that it was to be the fate of the Son of Man 
the Messiah, to be arrested, to be tried, to be crucified, to die buried before his resurrection. The fact that they don't take up this teaching very well is not the fault of Jesus. He's been very clear about this. In fact, you may remember in John chapter 12, there's a wonderful story about Mary, uh, the sister of Martha, the anointing that she brought to Jesus. In John chapter 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. That would be roughly the evening of Palm Sunday, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha served while Lazarus was one of those reclining at table with him. And Mary took a liter of costly perfumed oil, and it being made from genuine aromatic nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus. Now, in the Synoptic Gospels, the head and the feet of Jesus, and dried them with her hair. Not with her hair, but with the scarf that she used for this purpose, taking it off of her head. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. It was Judas, one of his disciples, and the one who would betray him, who said, why was this oil or perfume not sold for 300 days wages? And given to the poor, that's effectively two years of a working man's wage. He said this not because John reminds us, verse 6, he cared about the poor, uh, but rather because he was a thief and held the money bag and used to steal the contributions. John has no use for Judas. He just doesn't like him. But Jesus, in verse 7, as you remember, said, leave her alone. Let her Keep this for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Again, leave her alone. Let her keep this, what she's done, for the day of my burial. She has anointed me in preparation for my burial because she has recognized that my passion predictions are going to come to pass. I've told you all of this. Clearly, Mary, the sister of Martha and brother Lazarus understood that. That's why Jesus can say back in John chapter 14, where I am going, you know the way. Now it was Thomas who pipes up at this point and says, Master, we do not know where you are going. So how can we know the way? We don't know what's going on here. Again, this would be a way of expressing doubt on the part of Thomas, right? He doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. Why has Judas left the proceedings? What's going on? I don't get it. And Jesus said to him, not to worry. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if Judas has departed, then that was a decision that he made, right? He's not a pawn and he's not determined from all of creation to be the agent that would betray Jesus. Jesus is quite capable of making sure the events of his suffering, death, and subsequent burial before the resurrection would take place. He lays down his life freely. He could have escaped, for instance, apprehension in the Garden of Gethsemane by simply moving farther through the Garden of Gethsemane up to the height of the Mount of Olives and out into the deserts to the east. No one would have ever found him. 
He took his stand. In his trial, he self-incriminates. He does everything in his power to make sure God's perfect plan of a final sacrificial offering of a sacrificial system that's been in play for 1,500 years comes to pass. So Jesus is consoling Thomas. Don't worry, Thomas, on this night of the Passover. I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, then you will also know my Father. And from now on, you do know him because you've seen him. Meaning, in me, you have an understanding of who my Father is. Now, Philip, again, another of the twelve apostles, seated at table that night, then says to him, Master, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. This is a bold and alcohol-induced statement of Philip. Remember, Philip has appeared in the gospel prior to this outburst, if you will, in John chapter 1. The first two disciples of Jesus, John and Andrew, formerly disciples of John the Baptist, have followed Jesus from the baptismal site at the Jordan River's fording point across from Jericho to the village of Bethany. The next day, you'll remember in John chapter 41, Andrew went and found his brother Simon, who he had been speaking to Jesus about prolifically during the course of their four or five hour journey from Jericho up to Bethany the previous day. And when he brought him to Jesus, this is John chapter 40, John chapter 1, verse 42, Jesus looked at him and said, So, and I'm paraphrasing, you are the famous Simon, the son of John. I'm going to call you Cephas which means, in translation, you are Petros. You are the rock, meaning, based on what I've learned about you in hours previous to this, based on what your brother Andrew has spoken about you, you are the rock of this family. And then, the next day, and this is my point of introducing you once again to Philip, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. And he said to him, follow me. Well, they're friends, and they're going to be returning to Galilee together. Philip was from Bethsaida, the town of Andrew and Peter. So, obviously, he's now acquainted with Jesus. This is not the first time they've ever met. And Philip then, remember famously, found Nathanael and told him, we, meaning Andrew and Peter and I, have found the one about whom Moses wrote in the law and also the prophets Jesus, the son of Joseph, Joseph from Nazareth. And if he says we found the one Moses has written about, he's saying in the Jewish cultural context of the narrative, we have found and met the Messiah. So that's Philip. And here's again at the Last Supper. Philip boldly cries out in John chapter 14, verse 8, Master, Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Do you know the only other person that's ever spoken those words in the Hebrew Bible? That person is Moses, a pretty important character in the story of salvation history. And so I'll draw your attention to that outburst of Moses and the Lord's response in 
Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 to 23. In Exodus chapter 33, we read about Moses' intimacy with God. I'll walk you into the passage by looking at verses 7 through 9. We read that Moses used to pitch a tent outside the camp at some distance. It was called the tent of meeting. Anyone who wished to consult the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, the people would all rise and stand at the entrance of their own tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent of meeting. As Moses entered the tent, the column of cloud would come down and stand on at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Upon seeing the column of cloud, God's presence, stand at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise and bow down at the entrance of their own tents. And the Lord used to speak to Moses in this way, face to face, as a person speaks to a friend. And Moses would then return to the camp, but his young assistant, Joshua, the son of Naun, never left the site. Now that's the opening of Exodus chapter 33. As a result of this intimacy that Moses shares with God, one day, in verse 18, Moses said, Please, let me, allow me to see your glory. Now the Lord is pleased with the request, but says, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim my name, Lord, before you, because I can show favor to whom I will, and I can grant mercy on whom I will. But you cannot, Moses, see my face, for no one can see me and live. But you can see effectively my trail of glory. Remember this scene? Here, continued the Lord, is a place near me where you shall station yourself on the rock, that is, and face inwardly toward the darkness of a cave. And when my glory passes by, I will set you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand so that you may see my back, my backside in the old King James translations. Effectively, you can see my trail of glory, but my face may not be seen. So that was granted to Moses, that experience, if you will. And Philip, of course, filled with wine, emboldened now by Jesus in John chapter 14, says basically what Moses said 1,500 years earlier. Remember, we're remembering the story of the Passover, which features Moses as the heroic character. Master, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Now Jesus turns and says to him, and in doing so, speaks to everyone else around the table. Have I been with you for so long a time, and you still don't know me, Philip? Because whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, and he has to be thrilled that Philip felt emboldened enough to make this request, show us the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. But remember, the unique teaching style of Jesus reveals Jesus to be a new Moses. And this is very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. And you'll remember this turn of a phrase 
quite often used by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. So here's an example. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to your ancestors, that is, through Moses, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment, adjudication. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to the same judgment. Again, in verse 27, you have heard that it was said, the Mosaic law through the Moses prophet, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You've heard it said, Moses, but I say to you, the teaching style of Jesus presents Jesus as the new Moses. And so again, I come back to John chapter 14, in the middle of verse 10. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. They are or originated in the teaching of Moses. And the Father who dwells in me <coughs> is doing his works. And the works that Jesus does, the miracles that Jesus does, reveals that he is his Father's Son and the Messiah. He goes on in verse 11 to say, Believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe because of the works themselves, which are prolific. In fact, I'll remind you at the end of the Gospel of John, the conclusion, the last two verses of John chapter 21, it is this disciple, John, who testifies to these things and has written them, and we know that his testimony is true. There are, verse 25, also many other things that Jesus did. But if these were to be described individually, I do not think the whole world would contain the books that would be written. And so when Jesus, in John chapter 14, says, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, verse 11, or else believe because of the works themselves. Remember, those works were prolific in their number. I mean, certainly they include the restoration of the sight of the man born blind and miraculously the calling forth of Lazarus after four days in the tomb. But they were so many more as well, as John maintains at the end of John chapter 21. And then the gospel concludes. Amen. Amen, I say to you. Whoever believes in me will do the works I do and will do greater ones than these because I am going to the Father. Now, this final verse has always perplexed Christians. How is it possible that Christians will do greater works than Jesus? Certainly not in scale, in, in uh, accomplishment, but multiplication is certainly possible. And we remember the end of of the Gospel of Matthew to glean uh, possible meaning of Jesus. I'll take you to Matthew chapter 28. The final verses of the Gospel of Matthew are called the commissioning, or the great commission of the disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to the end of the Gospel. The eleven disciples, formerly twelve, 
Judas is no longer with us and has not been replaced by Matthias. That's something that takes place in Acts chapter 1. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had ordered them. What mountain? Well, I would imagine very near the site of the Transfiguration, where Peter, James, and John witnessed Jesus transfigured into his divine glory. I love this next verse. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus approached and said to them, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the commission, of course, is therefore, and now will be given to you. The chronology of this particular gathering would suggest that they've spent 40 days or so together, and Jesus will then, from Jerusalem, eventually ascend into heaven. Into heaven. Now, what confounds us, of course, is that in verse 17, we read, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Well, how is it possible they were doubting anything? They had experienced the resurrected Jesus. They had, they had held him. They had eaten with him. They had, they had been taught by him for the better part of 30 plus days. What doubt remained? I think the doubt is about what's next. Is there really more to do? Is it possible that we're going to be commissioned to do more than Jesus has already done? What would be the purpose of that? Where are we going next? What's the next step? I think that's the doubt that's expressed in this passage. Now, Jesus then says, O power in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and this is your commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You baptize them. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and have completed in your curriculum these last 30 plus days, again, which will be followed by the ascension. And remember, behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. And so the doubt was considerate, and it was a considered possibility that this was the end. And Jesus says it's not. You're going to be commissioned to go and make disciples of all the nations. We're going to move out of Judea, into Samaria, into Galilee, into all Roman provinces, and the gospel is going to spread farther and farther. And with it spread, the manifestation of things miraculous, attesting to God's message of salvation through his son, the revealed Messiah of Israel and of the Gentiles. And so again, I bring you back to John chapter 14 and verse 12. Amen, amen. I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and will do greater ones than these as the message through the apostles and their subsequent disciples spreads across the globe because I am going to the Father. And again, this is the middle then of this chapter, which we will continue dutifully next week because Jesus next week is going to make a very important promise to his disciples about how the Holy Spirit will come to them to give them the courage then to do what they need to do. And then you'll see at the last line of the chapter. This is John chapter 14 and verse 
31, the last line of the chapter. Get up now. It's time for us to go. Remember, the whole chapter opened with that concern. What's going on? Why did Judas leave? Is he coming back? What's the purpose of his departure? And there's an anxiety in the room. So chapter 14 is this opportunity Jesus has to teach before they vacate the upper room and make their way toward the Garden of Gethsemane. But for now, that's all this teacher has time to do. Never forget what a great student you are. And if you'd like to contact me, you can contact me directly at this podcast's Gmail account, gospel comes to life, one word, gospel comes to life at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Until then, God bless and good day.